We are continuing tonight in our series entitled Living Well out of the book of Proverbs, in particular the uh, prologue of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 through 9. And we've seen over the last several weeks some key features of what it means to actually live well, which is what the book of Proverbs and what wisdom is ultimately about. It's about skillful living or living in in accordance with the design of creation, in harmony with the, the tune of creation, if you will, and of its creator. And there is no more appropriate day, perhaps, to be talking about living well than on this day, the day of the Feast of Pentecost, the day that we celebrate the giving of the Spirit, who enlivens the people of God to actually live the resurrection life in practice, day in and day out. So there's a connection between what we're celebrating today and what we're going to continue to dig into this evening in the book of Proverbs. It's the spirit that gives life. It's the spirit that enables us to resist the ways of the world, the ways that are natural to us, and to embrace the ways that are supernatural, the ways of God, the ways ultimately of wisdom as we've been talking about over these last, this last month or so. So we've seen some keys. We've seen that to have wisdom, you you must fear the Lord, which is to give up the culture's number one idol of autonomy, the freedom to do what I want. We talked about loving wisdom, about the fact that this requires our ultimate affections and desires to be oriented to, to wisdom, to live well. We looked at seeking wisdom with purpose and intentionality and for the duration of our lives that we might grow that this is something that doesn't just kind of get handed out but it's something that we pursue even as God pursues us even as lady wisdom comes and reveals herself to us as well and then last week we looked at the idea of avoiding evil that in order to have wisdom we've got to turn away from the lies of evil that evil is good for you and that you can handle a little bit of it and you'll be okay And that that's one of the keys for beginning to live well. Well, tonight we turn to a word that connects to all of us as human beings, and it's the word trust. And this is a word that uh, comes out of Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is probably one of the most well-known passages in the book of Proverbs. Um, Trust is something that we all reckon with and deal with as human beings. Whatever our religious background, whatever questions that we're asking right now, whatever our experience has been uh, in the world... We all deal with the question of trust because trust is ultimately about what am I relying on? What am I putting my life, the hand, what am I, what, whose hands am I putting my life in? To, to, to trust is to rely on someone or something out of a sense of security from that thing, usually in the face of danger. To rely upon something. And we all have to rely on something as human beings. Last fall, I was hiking in Montana, and we came, at the beginning of this hike up a peak, we came to this river. It was a medium-sized river, and it was probably about a 30-foot gorge. And across the river, to get across the river, there was one lone suspension bridge that just kind of sat there. And it was a little foreboding, especially with the sign next to it that said, only one hiker at a time. Um, And then we had to kind of set out one at a time. We were in a group of five to walk over this suspension bridge to give a safe passage to the other side. And I'd like to give you that as a picture of what it means to ultimately trust. It's about putting your life into the hands of someone or something in order to get safely to the other side. Life as we face it has a lot of dangers, twists and turns. It's not always straightforward. The question is, what are we trusting in to get to the other side? That's the human question. That's the question that's before us tonight. And obviously from a Christian perspective... 
And if that's new for you, the Christian perspective, it's not obvious. But just to say that, that our perspective is that in order to get safely to the other side, there's only one place that we can put our trust. I'm sure there are a lot of different places that we can try to put our trust into and that we do put our trust into, but there's only one reliable suspension bridge across the gorge, and that is God himself, who's worthy of our trust, of our reliance, of placing our life in his hands. And it's this message that comes through loud and clear in Proverbs 3, 5 through 12. The father, another one of his lectures to the son, saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart, And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So I want to unpack a little bit of what he says about trust. And about trusting in the Lord in this passage. He obviously commands trust. This is his exhortation to the Son. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's a key here. There's two times that the word all is used. And it says something about the nature of the trust that we're being asked to give to God. That it's an entirely comprehensive, exhaustive, exclusive kind of trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways. Acknowledge or know or desire him. We have a tendency to compartmentalize, don't we, in our lives? We have a tendency to to say, well, I I think I can trust in God in this area, but in this area, in this, you know, in my romantic dating life, uh, or in my career, or in this unique problem that's just entered into into my life, in this situation, or with this particular relationship, which is quite challenging and difficult, I think in these cases, I need to take matters into my own hands. And we've looked a little bit over the last several weeks with the importance of the duration and the comprehensiveness of walking in this way. Fear the Lord all the day. Not giving in to those moments. And that's in a sense what the Father is saying about this aspect of trusting in in the Lord. With all your heart. Don't hold anything back. Don't reserve a compartment or a situation or a relationship or an aspect of your life for your own rule. But give it all over comprehensively everything that you have if we and we all do this there's not one of us in this room that trusts in the Lord with all of our heart perfectly this is an exhortation to be sought after and attained in our lives but when we choose to make our to to hold back parts and pieces and when we we choose to kind of make our own trust or put our trust in something else it's as if we were like crossing the 30 foot tall gorge with with two big trees in our hand that we think are going to reach to the ground and kind of help us get across and instead of actually giving us safe passage what do those trees in our hand actually do they begin to knock us off balance and make things more difficult and we'll see more of that perspective in a moment So he commends to the son, he commands the son, trust the Lord with all your heart, in in everything, in every way. Don't leave a part of your life untouched by this kind of trust. Don't reserve anything. And then he contrasts this trust, this comprehensive trust, with, with the most plausible alternative for all of us to trust in, and that's ourselves. Whereas sometimes God seems distant, absent, perhaps, hard to kind of grasp, elusive. Myself seems quite concrete. 
I live with myself. I know myself at some level. I have a sense of who I am. I have a sense of what I want and what I desire. And I would put to you that the single biggest challenge to all of us in this room, to any human being, to trusting in the Lord with all of our heart, to trusting in the creator, is trusting in in me. Because I'm that much more immediate. And there are times when trusting in me seems like it's going to deliver the best possible scenario. Because I know ultimately what I want. And so if I trust in me to get the things that I want, it seems to be a good, relatively foolproof equation to having a good life. And so the temptation is always there to lean upon me. But the Father knows this about human nature, that we're all prone to trusting in ourselves. And so he contrasts this idea of trusting in the Lord with The opposite, which would be trusting in me. And he says this in verse 5. And do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Despite how immediate we may be to ourselves, how concrete we are to ourselves, the Father knows that we're actually quite small and quite limited. That our perspective is so often obscured and wrongly perceived. And that the ways that we would choose don't actually lead to safe passage. But they lead to falling off, to getting hurt, to areas of difficulty and trial that we would be much better off avoiding. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And this is one of the, the deep themes through the book of Proverbs, that to trust in oneself is kind of the epitome of folly. Yet it's the great temptation, particularly in situations where God's lack of concrete presence oftentimes in our lives means that we are far more willing to go out and get results or get things done in a way that we think will produce what we need it to produce. And so the Father says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't lean on your own understanding. But place your life completely in the hands of a God who is so big, who's so powerful, who's so vast, who loves you so much, that nothing can thwart his plans and his purposes in your life. Hand it over. All of it, he says. And then he commends this way of trust by showing its fruits. In verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That doesn't mean that you won't have difficulty in life. We all know that. That would be a lie. But what the promise is here is that your path will be made straight and a straight path is the best way of getting from point a to point b a crooked path is is a way of kind of falling into danger or despair or to trouble or to heartache or to hardship a straight path leads us down the least difficult road doesn't mean it's not difficult but the least difficult road and that's what the promise is here if you trust in the lord with all your heart if you lean on him with everything that you've got then he will make your path straight he'll take you down the least difficult road verse 6 and verse 8 he says it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
placing your life in the hands of the Father will bring a sense of refreshment, of satisfaction, of substance, of courage that we all desperately long for and need. That will even carry us through those times when things aren't quite so clear, when the path doesn't seem so straight, and when things don't seem so easy. There is this kind of rest and peace that comes. And so the Father's commending this way of comprehensive, exhaustive, exclusive trust because it's ultimately the best thing for us. And he's not rebuking us for our difficulties in trust because we all have them. And saying, well, therefore you don't really trust in God. He's saying, no, no, this lack of trust is actually the way to heartache and discouragement. And I want to spare you those things. And I want, to, I want you to have this kind of refreshment and healing in your life. And so trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Give up your own way. And lean into him. In verses 9 and 10 and 11 and 12, he, com- he puts this kind of trust and applies it in two situations where it's hard to trust. And we all identify with these things. The first is verses 9 and 10. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your f- the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is the situation of success. This is the time when life is going well. There was a 19th century Scottish preacher, Andrew Bonar, who said, let us be more watchful after the victory than before the battle. Again and again, the Israelites are warned in the book of Deuteronomy with things like this. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you, have eaten your, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. That's a picture of everything going really well, of having much and enjoying success. Verse, the next verse says, But then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. When when everything is going well, trusting the Lord with all our heart feels unnecessary because things are going well. Because we have a sense that what we have in our life, what's been given to us, is not just something that's been a gift, but it's been the the, the fruit of our hard-earned efforts. It's the just desserts of our of our path and our discipline and and our approach to life. And it can lead us to this place of forgetting the provision, the provider. And the Father knows that this is a situation where trusting seems unnecessary. And so he commends to the Son to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Give. To honor the Lord means to consider him as weighty. To bring fame to God through the use of your abundance. And as you do so, as you put these treasures into the Lord's hands, it expresses that you deeply trust him and it works that trust more deeply into your heart and into your life on a day-to-day basis. Now this verse can be taken out of context and turned into the prosperity gospel, right? Give, you know, put $50 in the plate as it comes by tonight and there'll be a $100 bill waiting on your porch when you get home, that kind of thing. 
And obviously that's not what is meant here or in any other text of scripture. But it's this sense that as in your moments of success and abundance, as you choose the path of trust and as you demonstrate that trust by honoring God with what he's given to you and by giving it back to him, that he will care for you. He will sustain you. He will continue to bless you and enable you to live and to continue to give to bring glory and honor to his name. It's a promise. And it's a promise of God's sufficiency to provide for you and to continue to provide for you and to sustain you. So he commends to trust in times when it doesn't feel necessary. And the second, my son, verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father of the son in whom he delights. And I suspect this is the situation of trust that we all identify with perhaps a bit more. And this is those moments when life is going so hard that trusting in the Lord with all your heart feels impossible. It's interesting the choice of words. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Despising and growing weary. It's in those situations when things are kind of difficult and hard, when dreams have gone unfulfilled, not just for months, but perhaps for years, when there are desires that are unmet, that aren't getting met, that are good and godly desires. These are those moments when the world just starts to kind of cave in a little bit and you feel like you're being um, you know, attacked from every different angle. And you know these words, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and yet it just feels impossible to do that in a moment like this. Because if God was really here, and if God was really present, if God really cared, why wouldn't these situations and circumstances be different? And so the transition starts to take place from a place of trust and of relying upon God solely in my life to starting to kind of clinch my fist and starting to shake my fist and starting to get resentful and starting to get angry and starting to to doubt the goodness of God and starting to question whether he's even there and turning to these places then of, of darkness. And this isn't to say that we don't struggle by any means. Of course we struggle. But there is a path of wrestling and struggling that is deeply trusting at the same time. And then there is a path, and this is the path that the Father's kind of applying this message of trust into that, that actually says, no, I start to turn my back and turn, turn my face upon the living God and I walk in my own way. And I despise what he's allotted in my life. And I can't trust him. And the father's reminding the son that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The author of Hebrews picks this up in Hebrews chapter 12. Directly from this text in Proverbs 3. And applies it to us as New Testament spirit-filled followers of Jesus. That God will bring these kinds of moments. Allow these kinds of moments in our lives. That are then meant to be used to refine us. To deepen our faith. To further enable this kind of trusting with all of our heart. And in all of our ways. And so if you're in one of those situations in general, perhaps in a more pointed way or just kind of a, a general fog over the last year or two or three or four, the encouragement here 
is not to start to despise the God who has allowed you to walk into the valley of the shadow of death. But it's to seek his presence in the midst of it. It's to know that he's steadfast in his love toward you. It's to start to look at the trials and the difficulties that he's allowing in your life, not as opportunities for turning your back upon him, but as opportunities for testifying to his faithfulness and his goodness in the midst of the valleys. And in being encouraged to do that in a community that comes around you and encourages you along the way. And the Father knows that these moments happen. He knows that these moments are coming in the life of the Son to whom he's speaking in chapter 3. And he says, don't despise these things. Don't grow weary of these things. This is the way a father who loves his child grows him up, matures him, refines him. Stay soft. Stay supple in his hands. Pliable, open, yielding, humble, trusting. This isn't a natural disposition for any of us, this posture of trust, is it? This is a battle of life that we all battle through day in and day out. Will I trust in the Lord with all of my heart? Or will I start to lean on my own understanding? And by the grace of God, And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to grow in this path, to grow together as a community in this path, in this way of trust. And the single greatest strategy that I want to give you, to leave you with for how we walk in this way of trust is just to remember the cross of Jesus. We're the church of the cross. The cross is at the center of our worship. It's at the center of our lives. The cross says once and for all that God loves you. The cross says once and for all that God knows your difficult, challenging struggle with trust. That God knows that you're prone to be proud and arrogant. That you're prone to think that you know what's best. And that you're prone to try that from time to time. And that he's taken the gap that that creates between you and him, the enmity that that creates between you and him. And he's dealt with it decisively because he loves you. By nailing it to the cross. We do this every week. We'll do it tonight at the benediction. Our difficulties, our problems, the devil's works. Well, those aren't things that are just external to us. Those are things that happen inside of us as well. And we send them to the cross because it's at the cross that we see the sufficiency of God's remedy for our trustlessness, for your trustlessness, and for mine. And so the way to grow in this kind of trust is not just to exhort you to trust, but it's to point you to the faithfulness, to the steadfast love, to the commitment of the God who loves you more than you would ever know, more than we ever deserve. It's to celebrate that love. It's to glory in that love, in that compassion, in his forgiveness that's expressed for you and for me.
And so I want to commend that to you as the how behind this message of trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. This, this path of living well. This path that leads to refreshment to your flesh and healing to your bones. To look at the cross and to pray for the Spirit of God to fill you again. The Spirit who shines the light upon the work of Christ on the cross. The Spirit who enables us to appreciate the steadfast love of God, the mercy of God. And to begin to grow along this path of trust, of yielding. Perhaps particularly in those areas where we're most prone to leaning on our own understanding. So here, God's invitation tonight to you to lay those parts of your life down because of the cross. It was for you, and it was for me. Amen.